Welcome to Education Matters with the Matsubaro School District Superintendent, Dr. Randy Trainey, a podcast to look inside important education matters here in the Matsu. Hello, this is Education Matters, and I'm Dr. Randy Trainey, of the superintendent of the Matsubaro School District, and I'm happy to welcome Dr. Ann Zink. She's Alaska's chief medical officer. She's also an ERR doctor and a parent of students here in the Matsu. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Zink. I know that your time is super valuable. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I Matsu is home, um, and uh, I really appreciate all the work that uh, parents uh, and kids and educators are doing in these really challenging times. So I know this is a topic that you're well-versed in. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about COVID. Cases are rising in our state right now. We have more positive cases are coming into the school. Um, in the last two weeks, we've had nearly 100 positive cases in the school districts. Can you give us an overview of what you see happening at the statewide level? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, we as a state are on what we call an acceleration curve. We are seeing a rapid uh, increase in cases, um, and we are seeing that really statewide. Uh, the southeast and southwest have been kind of the most protected, but even those are starting to trend up. We're seeing this in the setting of both nation and globally cases really trending up uh, overall, um, but Alaska is surging quite a bit faster than most other states. Uh, so as of today, we were the fifth highest state when we look at number of cases per capita nationwide, and we uh, see that trend continuing for the near future um, unless uh, we all really collectively change the way that we are interacting with each other to push these numbers down. Uh, specifically, we are seeing a couple regions uh, surging. We saw um, initially a lot of cases Anchorage, uh, Fairbanks really then uh, a lot of cases there, percent positivity. Uh, we're starting to see Fairbanks kind of cool off a little bit here recently, which has been great to see. Uh, Anchorage continues to tick up. We've had some really significant rural outbreaks um, that have added a lot of cases and are highly concerning in, in working with those communities, including uh, some strike teams to go out there and help and changing around testing and resources. Um, but honestly, the two communities I'm most concerned about these days are Kenai and Matsu. So they have the fastest growth curve right now. Matsu has the highest percent positivity uh, in the state. We are at 17.64% of the tests done in Matsu are positive right now. Uh, we'd like to keep that number uh, below two. Um, anytime we're above uh, 5%, that is kind of getting into the red zone. Uh, and then anything above 10 is really kind of we're, we're missing tons of cases and really at risk for very substantial uh, uncontrolled growth. In Matsu and Kenai, uh, specifically, uh, our doubling time is somewhere between uh, six to eight days uh, in our number of cases. And so for specifically today, we have 44 cases from Wasilla and 20 cases from Palmer. We continue to see those areas really kind of driving our numbers, particularly the Matsu area. So hoping that we can all do our part to push those numbers back down. I think it is really important to note that this pandemic isn't determined for us. This virus can't live without us. It can actually only replicate with ourselves. And uh, so this isn't an inevitable thing that's going to happen. It's really a choice that we make um, when we allow it to spread from one person to another. And so while we are surging right now, that doesn't mean that we don't have the power uh, to really uh, turn that tide on this pandemic and push those numbers down uh, so that we can keep uh, our families and our communities and our businesses safe and healthy and happy and open. Yeah, I think this next question, it's a follow-up on what you just shared with us. And I think the answer is... I'll ask two questions, but I think the answer is probably the same. What things do you suppose led to the dramatic increase in Matsu particular in our number of cases? Like what factors have contributed to that? And then also, 
what are those things you said, we aren't doomed for this. We can manage it somehow. And so what are the factors that we could change to make that curve go back down? Yeah, great question. We always get asked like, why this community? Why that community? And I think there's always a little bit of degree of, you know, randomness to some of that. So for example, you know, Fairbanks just got off uh, early and had a lot of cases there early. I think that other things play a factor in it. So the more that we are densely living together, the more mixing that there are, uh, the, the easier it is for COVID to spread. And I think that that's been a real challenge uh, in Anchorage. But I think Matt, Sue, and Akina are kind of uh, behaving a little bit like when we're talking about the epidemiology of it, a little bit more like some of our rural areas where um, kind of the density, people aren't quite as mixed, are quite close together. So it took a while uh, for it to kind of take off here. But then there aren't a lot of speed bumps and checks in that process. So once it gets in the community, uh, if people are mixing, people are not wearing masks, they're in indoor closed spaces together, it can really take off in a short period of time. And so I think we need to build in as many speed bumps or really for Alaska, as many potholes in COVID to slow it down so that we may have cases, but that we can identify those cases quickly. Uh, we can isolate them uh, and we can really stop the spread so it doesn't move on uh, to the next person and the next and the next really, really quickly. And so the speed bumps that we do and the ways that we kind of slow that down uh, are, are the things that we talk about all the time. So masks work. Um, masks are an effective way to slow the spread of transmission. There was some great data that came from the CDC uh, just today uh, talking about, you know, in-household transmission decreasing by 70% if you wear a mask like with someone else who may be positive uh, in the household. Uh, that we haven't had any documented transmission on flight when people are COVID positive and people are wearing masks. Hairdressers who are wearing masks and their clients are wearing masks, uh, tested positive, lots of exposures and no transfer. So we've got a lot of really good data uh, that masks work. And, and the more that we can do that, the more we slow the spread. There's also some evidence that if you're wearing a mask, uh, you may be less likely to get as sick um, because you don't get as high of a viral load. We're still studying that. We don't fully understand uh, how much virus you need to get sick. It probably depends on the person, uh, but following that. Distance matters. So if there's one thing we can do, it's staying further apart from people. CDC says at least six feet and as many times as we possibly can. Uh, that is, it's hugely helpful. I think of distance a little bit like budget. Um, sometimes we have to spend that budget. We have to be close to people. So for example, when I work in the ER, it's really hard to sew a laceration or to do CPR without being really close to someone. And so I do all that I can to protect myself in that moment but I try to minimize all my other connections and my contacts and keep as much space as possible for my other interactions so that I can spend my budget on uh, being in, in contact in the emergency department. So really minimizing that. Hand washing still is a really important thing, so minimizing hand washing. And I think we're really seeing the driving forces because of it's, it's cooler. And so people are going indoors more and more, uh, gathering, uh, break rooms continue to be a huge place for outbreaks. Um, and then when people are singing, exerting themselves, uh, we get a lot more spread, particularly when it's indoor. Uh, so indoor sports, indoor activities, any indoor singing, things like that are going to be much higher risk of transmission. Maybe just uh, to build on what you said and some data that we've collected here in the district over the last almost uh, 12 weeks now, we still have yet to have any confirmed spread of covid in environments in school where we are masked. So in the in-school environment where people have been masked, we've had positive cases in the buildings and there's no, there has been no spread. Conversely, we have other activities and you mentioned some of them, particularly indoor athletics. We have, of, of the cases in the last 12 days, 50% of them we can track back to volleyball in, in our high schools, that is. So 
It's those environments where we aren't requiring masks where we're seeing the largest spread of the virus here in the district. And I think that's just echoing what you said earlier. What we're up against, we're kind of a conundrum here because we all recognize the value of athletics and activities and keeping kids, you know, out there doing things. What's DHS's thoughts about activities at this stage? Currently, we're only allowing intramural activities. So like cohorting within each school is one of the, I guess, the, to, to use your language, the speed bump or the pothole that we're trying to put in place to slow COVID. Yeah, so it's a, a great question. And I really appreciate the fact that emphasizing the importance of activity. COVID's been stressful and it's been long and it's been hard. And uh, I think we're all done with COVID. I could be done with COVID yesterday. Um, but we have to find ways to mentally and physically take care of ourselves. And we know that activity is really important for that. We also know that activity is really important for the mental health of our youth. It is how we stay, and for many, it's how they are connected to other adults. It's a, a great friend group. It's a, a way to uh, be able to build their self-confidence and be able to build. I know that um, you know, sometimes I feel like my kids would uh, rather have their sport than, and than anything else with school. Like that's the most important thing and they, and they absolutely adore it, love it. And I think we need to continue to emphasize those things and make sure they're happening. But we also need to do things differently this year because of COVID. And that's both to protect the health and well-being of our youth, but also those that they live with in our community as a whole. And so I think finding as many ways that we can do activities in a safe way is going to be really important. So the more that we can do hockey outside on, uh, you know, lakes once they freeze over instead of indoors, um, you know, it becomes really hard this time of year um, to be able to do all of our sports outside. But the more we can do it outside, the more we can do it masked, the more that we can do it in small cohorted groups, the bigger the difference. The faster we're going with COVID, the more cases we have and the higher percent positivity we have, the more speed bumps we need uh, to be able to slow it down. And so I get a lot, well, this wasn't a problem, you know, in, J in July when we were doing X, Y, or Z activity. Well, COVID doesn't spread if COVID isn't there. But right now, uh, the chances that someone in your group has COVID has really increased over even just the last two weeks in Matsu. So there's a great little website where you can like calculate your chance of being exposed to someone with COVID if it's a group of 10 or 20 or 100. Uh, and right now, we just have a lot more cases circulating. And particularly with that percent positivity uh, being so high, a lot of undetected cases uh, circulating around. And so we have to do more to slow it down. And, and so DHSS does not approve of plans. Uh, we don't open or close school districts. Uh, those are really uh, based on the school district's uh, recommendations and thoughts, but the same information I'm sharing here is the same information we share with school districts and the, and the rest of it. And that is mass works. We have a lot of cases. We need to slow things down. Um, and that indoor spaces, particularly when you're exerting, are high risk. So indoor volleyball without masks on is a really high risk activity right now. Mm -hmm. One of the speed bumps that we've tried to put in place, especially recently in light of the dramatic increase in cases that we had at our high schools, were these two-week-long closures, the 14-day-long closures. Can you talk about why that time period is, you know, something that we've had suggested from folks in DHSS that, you know, 14 days, what's magic about that number? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, we just have the reality of this virus and we have to deal with the reality of it. So the virus uh, from the moment of exposure to what we call the incubation period, the time that it might show up in someone yeah, because of symptoms or even being tested is 14 days. And that's just the, our understanding of the biology of the virus. 
other diseases have much shorter incubation periods, um, you know, anywhere from uh, two to five days for like influenza, which actually makes it much easier because then you see cases really quickly and you kind of know where that's that outbreak uh, happening versus this really long incubation period makes it much easier to kind of silently and sneakily spread from person to person. It also makes it really hard to stop it because if you're asked to quarantine for 14 days, uh, that's a really long time uh, to, to stay away from others. Um, and, and so I think that it has been one of a series of factors uh, that make this disease uh, hard to spread. The other one other comment that I just wanted to also kind of go back on, I talked about risk. And I, I think I just wanna also be really clear that there are different types of risk. And so for children between the ages of one and 15, the chances of dying from influenza are higher than COVID. So if I've got a 12 year old playing volleyball, there's not that significant of a risk of them dying from COVID being exposed to it. But we know that our 12 year olds are not living by themselves. They're living in communities with parents and grandparents and, and others um, and them spreading it within their household into these secondary and tertiary contexts that kind of next levels out is really where we see that risk go. And so um, I, I just wanted to clarify kind of what that what the risk is and what we're thinking about. And so what ways can we can we really make sure activities happening and, and kids are being active, um, knowing the risk benefit to them, but also realizing that these kids live and work in a bigger community with teachers who may have underlying risk factors, with parents who may have underlying risk factors uh, and in a community uh, that's larger than just their game. One of the bits of advice that we get from organizations that are trying to help schools stay open is that one of the things we need to consider is our local infrastructure to handle cases of COVID, so hospitalizations. Can you talk to us about Matsu Regional's capacity for COVID to handle COVID cases right now? How many beds are in use? How many are available? And maybe even a statewide perspective on that. Yeah, no, great question. Um, place close to my heart uh, as I've uh, been working there for years. At Matsu Regional, I think um, the staff there have done an amazing job of finding ways to respond to COVID safely, making sure there's enough PPE, making sure that they're able to see uh, patients regardless of their reason to present. But if you've ever waited in the emergency department or had to be transferred to another hospital, you also know that the capacity within Alaska is limited um, and the capacity within Matsu Regional is limited. You know, Matsu doesn't work solely on its own. You know, we work with other hospitals, but what is happening statewide does make a really big difference. So when we look at statewide numbers, currently we have 106 out of 133 ICU beds are occupied at the moment. Of our total inpatients, 7.72% are hospitalized because of COVID patients. We currently have 67 patients hospitalized with diagnosis of COVID with an additional 22 suspected. But I think when you bring it down into the Matsu region, uh, currently there is no ICU capacity at Matsu. So they are, all 14 beds are currently full. They have four patients hospitalized with COVID right now. It does look like there is additional non-ICU capacity uh, and ventilary ability, but no ICU beds to put them in. And that's also concerning when you look at then Anchorage. So Anchorage has a total of 76 ICU beds and 71 of them are full today. So uh, Anchorage has five ICU beds that are currently available with 49 patients uh, who are hospitalized with COVID and 20 suspected of COVID uh, right now uh, and six on uh, events in, in Anchorage. So when we think about just specifically uh, Anchorage and Matsu, um, pretty darn tight right now uh, on ICU bed. Again, not all COVID related. Um, there are lots of other things that happen on a regular basis, 
Um, but that is part of the reason why we really want to prevent the spread of the disease is we want to make sure that people uh, don't have the long-term side effects, don't, but also don't need to a hospital and that we've got the capacity to care for the car accidents and the chest pains and the strokes as well as the COVID patients. Uh, so it's really important that we, we do all that we can given our really limited infrastructure of hospitals in the state. Thanks for sharing that with us. Maybe our last topic, uh, we're getting near the end here. Could you just talk about COVID fatigue? You know, we, we can sense it. We know it's real. We all have it. You even said it at the beginning. We all wish COVID was over with. Um, how do you respond to folks who talk about, you know, I'm just done with this. I'm, I'm moving on. I completely agree with them. I mean, I'm done with it as well. Um, but that doesn't mean it's done with us. And I think that ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Um, and then just like any other challenge, we just have to recognize what it is and do the best we can uh, with the resources and tools that we have. Um, so I, I would encourage uh, people to be thinking about resilience, be thinking about the positive, instead of thinking about the ways that we have had things that have been a loss, think about the ways that we can gain. You know, at the beginning of the school year, I asked my kids to write down, you know, the ways that they wanted to become resilient this year, like what they were going to do, how we were going to not mask up a previous year, but we were going to use this as a year of resiliency and what new things could they do uh, differently. So I think that we need to um, be focusing on that. What can we, how can we encourage our kids and our loved ones? How can we make sure those connections and activities and health happen regardless? and making sure that we really support each other. We need to make sure that we stay connected socially and spiritually to each other. We need to make sure that we are active and we are taking care of our underlying health, making sure that we are exercising, eating well, uh, sleeping well, um, and making sure that we're caring for each other. But that doesn't mean ignoring COVID. Uh, that means still taking COVID seriously. And it's gonna be much harder if we really run out of all of our ICU capacity. And it's one thing to be COVID fatigued, wearing a mask, uh, being frustrated with schools closing different, it's really different uh, if your COVID fatigue involves losing your grandparent or your parent or your neighbor. Um, and it's for those reasons uh, that we know prevention works. And the more we can prevent uh, the spread of COVID, the better off the health, the physical and mental health of our communities is, is going to be. We've been really fortunate in the state. We've had some of the lowest case fatality rate and uh, second to lowest fatalities per capita in the country but our history of this pandemic has not yet been written. And really what we do in the next couple months is gonna determine where we're at. And I also think that there's tremendous hope on the horizon. We have so much better treatment options than we did before. We understand this virus better than we did before. Or even a mask, like we understand its role much better than we did before. And so we have a really cheap, effective tool that we can use now. And we are working diligently and around the clock uh, for vaccine distribution. We have been told to be ready for preparation, uh, you know, before the end of the year for vaccine distribution. So I guess I would just end by saying this pandemic will not last forever. This will end. We will be at a better place. Um, but this is the time for Alaskans to dig deep and to find ways to support each other and slow the spread. I think of it a lot like the sun. I think by winter solstice, it's it could be hard around here. But by spring equinox, things are going to be really changed in the corner. And I think by summer solstice, we will be at a different place. And so we're used to we're used to being prepared as a state, and we're used to things changing. And so we need to we need to just acknowledge the science behind it and respond collectively together to this challenge that we have uh, facing us. Thank you, Dr. Zink, so much for spending time with me today, and thanks for all the work that you have done to protect Alaskans. 
this is Randy Trainee, uh, Superintendent of Matsuboro School District with Education Matters. You can find this podcast on our website at www.matsuk12.us under About Us or wherever you listen to podcasts like on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. Thank you.